Section 27 of To the Last Man by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14, Part 1. Then followed the leathery flop of saddles to the soft turf and the stamp of loosened horses. Jean heard a noise at the cabin door, a rustle, and then a knock of something hard against wood. Silently, he moved his head to look down through a crack between the rafters. He saw the glint of a rifle leaning against the sill. Then the doorstep was darkened. Ellen Jorth sat down with a long, tired sigh. She took off her sombrero, and the light shone on the rippling dark-brown hair, hanging in a tangled braid. The curved nape of her neck showed a warm tint of golden tan. She wore a gray blouse, soiled and torn, that clung to her lissom shoulders. "'Coulter, what are you going to do?' she asked suddenly. Her voice carried something Jean did not remember. It thrilled into the icy fixity of his senses. "'We'll stay here,' was the response, and it was followed by a clinking step of spurred boot. "'Sure I won't stay here,' declared Ellen. "'It makes me sick.' when I think of how Uncle Tad died in there alone, helpless, suffering. The place seems haunted. Well, I'll agree that it's tough on you, but what the hell can we do? A long silence ensued, which Ellen did not break. Something has come off round here since early morning, declared Coulter. Summers and Springer haven't got back, and Antonio's gone. Now, honest, Ellen, didn't you hear rifle shots off somewhere? I reckon I did, she responded gloomily. And which way? Sounded to me, up on the bluff, back pretty far. Well, sure, that's my idea, and it makes me think hard. You know, Summers came across the last camp of the Isbels, and he dug into a grave to find the bodies of Jim Gordon and another man he didn't know. Queen kept good as brag. He braced that Isbel gang and killed those fellas, but either him or Jean Isbel went off leaving bloody tracks. If it was Queen's, you can bet Isbel was after him. And if it was Isbel's tracks, why sure Queen would stick to them. Summers and Springer couldn't follow the trail. They're sure not much good at tracking. But for days they've been riding the woods, hoping to run across Queen. Well, now, maybe they run across Isbel instead. And if they did and got away from him, they'll be here sooner or later. If Isbel was too many for them, he'd hunt for my trail. I'm gambling that either Queen or Jean Isbel is dead. I'm hoping it's Isbel. Because if he ain't dead, he's the last of the Isbels, and maybe I'm the last of the Jorth gang. Sure, I'm not hankering to meet the half-breed. That's why I say we'll stay here. This is as good a hiding place as there is in the country. We've grub. There's water and grass. Me stay here with you alone? The tone seemed a contradiction to the apparently accepted sense of her words. Jean held his breath, but he could not still the slowly mounting and accelerating faculties within that were involuntarily rising to meet some strange, nameless import. He felt it. He imagined it would be the catastrophe of Ellen Jorth's calm acceptance of Coulter's proposition. But down in Jean's miserable heart, live something that would not die. No mere words could kill it. How poignant the moment of her silence! How terribly he realized 
that if his intelligence and his emotion had believed her betraying words, his soul had not. But Ellen Jorth did not speak. Her brown head hung thoughtfully. Her supple shoulders sagged a little. Ellen, what's happened to you? went on Coulter. All the misery possible to a woman, she replied dejectedly. Sure, I don't mean that way, he continued persuasively. I ain't gainsaying the hard facts of your life. It's been bad. Your dad was no good. But I mean, I can't figure the change in you. No, I reckon you can't, she said. Whoever was responsible for your makeup left out a mind, not to say feeling. Coulter drawled a low laugh. Well, have that your own way. But how much longer are you going to be like this here? Like what? she rejoined sharply. Well, this standoffishness of yours. Coulter, I told you to let me alone, she said sullenly. Sure, and you did that before. But this time you're different, and, well, I'm getting tired of it. Here, the cool, slow voice of the Texan sounded an inflexibility before absent, a timber that hinted of illimitable power. Ellen Jorth shrugged her lithe shoulders, and slowly rising, she picked up the little rifle and turned the step into the cabin. Coulter, she said, fetch my pack and my blankets in here. Sure, he returned with good nature. Jean saw Ellen Jorth lay the rifle lengthwise in a chink between two logs, and then slowly turn back to the wall. Jean knew her then, yet did not know her. The brown flash of her face seemed that of an older, graver woman. His strained gaze, like his waiting mind, had expected something, he knew not what. A hardened face, a ghost of beauty, a recklessness, a distorted, bitter, lost expression in keeping with her fortunes. But he had reckoned falsely. She did not look like that. There was incalculable change, but the beauty remained somehow different. Her red lips were parted, her brooding eyes looking out straight from under the level, dark brows, seemed slow black and wonderful with her steady, passionate light. Jean, in his eager, hungry, devouring of the beloved face, did not on the first instant grasp the significance of its expression. He was seeing the features that had haunted him, but quickly he interpreted her expression as the somber, hunted look of a woman who would bear no more. Under the torn blouse, her full breast heaved. She held her hands clenched at her sides. She was listening, waiting, for that jangling, slow step. It came, and with the sound, she subtly changed. She was a woman hiding her true feelings. She relaxed, and that strong, dark look of fury seemed to fade back into her eyes. Coulter appeared at the door, carrying a roll of blankets and a pack. Throw them here, she said, and I reckon you needn't bother coming in. That angered the man. With one long stride, he stepped over the door still, down into the cabin, and flung the blankets at her feet and then the pack after it. Whereupon, he deliberately sat down in the door facing her. With one hand, he slid off his sombrero, which fell outside, and with the other, he reached into his upper vest pocket for the little bag of tobacco that showed there. All the time he looked at her. By the light now unobstructed, 
Jean descried Colter's face, and the sight of it then sounded the roll and drum of his passions. "'Well, Ellen, I reckon we'll have it out right now and here,' he said, and with tobacco in one hand, paper in the other, he began the operations of making a cigarette. However, he scarcely removed his glance from her. "'Yes?' queried Ellen Jorth. "'I'm going to have things the way they were before. And more,' he declared." The cigarette paper shook in his fingers. "'What do you mean?' she demanded. "'You know what I mean,' he retorted. Voice and action were subtly unhinging this man's control over himself. "'Maybe I don't. I reckon you'd better talk plain.' The rustler had clear, gray-yellow eyes, flawless like crystal, and suddenly they danced with little fiery flecks. "'The last time I laid my hand on you, I got hit for my pains.' and sure that been ranklin colter you'll get hit again if you put your hands on me she said dark straight glance on him a frown wrinkled the level brows you mean that he asked thickly i sure do manifestly he accepted her assertion something of the incredulity and bewilderment that had vied with his resentment utterly disappeared from his face here I've been waiting for you to love me, he declared, with a gesture not without dignified emotion. Your giving in without that wasn't so much to me. And at these words of the rustlers, Jean Isabel felt an icy, sickening shudder creep into his soul. He shut his eyes. The end of his dream had been long in coming, but at last it had arrived. A mocking voice, like a hollow wind, echoed through that region that lonely and ghost-like hall of his heart which had harbored faith. She burst into speech, louder and sharper, the first words of which Jean's strangely throbbing ears did not distinguish. You? I never gave in to you, and I never will. But, girl, I kissed you, hugged you, handled you, he expostulated, and the making of the cigarette ceased. Yes, you did, you brute, when I was so downhearted and weak. I couldn't lift my hand, she flashed. Ah, you mean I couldn't do that now? I should smile I do, Jim Coulter, she replied. Well, maybe I see presently, he went on, straining with words. But I'm sure curious. Dags, then. He was nothing to you? No more than you, she said morbidly. He used to run after me long ago, it seems. I was only a girl then, innocent and I'd not known any but rough men. I couldn't, all the time, every day, every hour, keep him at arm's length. Sometimes, before I knew, I didn't care. I was a child. A kiss meant nothing to me. But after I knew... Ellen dropped her head in brooding silence. So do you expect me to believe that? he queried, with a derisive leer. Bah! What do I care what you believe? she cried, with lifting head. How about Sim Bruce? That coyote? He lied about me, Jim Coulter. And any man, half a man, would have known he lied. Well, Sim always bragged about you being his girl, asserted Coulter. And he wasn't over-particular about details of your love-making. Ellen gazed out of the door, over Coulter's head, as if the forest out there was a refuge. She evidently sensed more about the man than appeared in his slow talk in his slouching position. Her lips shut in a firm line, 
as if to hide their trembling and to still her passionate tongue. Jean, in his absorption, magnified his perceptions. Not yet was Ellen Jorth afraid of this man, but she feared the situation. Jean's heart was at bursting pitch. All within him seemed chaos, a wreck of beliefs and convictions. Nothing was true. He would wake presently out of a nightmare. Yet, as surely as he quivered there, he felt the imminence of a great moment, a lightning flash, a thunderbolt, a balance struck. Coulter attended to the forgotten cigarette. He rolled it, lighted it, all the time with lowered, pondering head. And when he had puffed a cloud of smoke, he suddenly looked up with face as hard as flint, eyes as fiery as molten steel. Well, Ellen, how about Jean Isabel, our half-breed Nez Pierce friend? Who was sure seen handling you familiar, he drawled. Ellen Jorth quivered as under a lash. Her brown face turned a dusty scarlet that, slowly receding, left her pale. "'Damn you, Jim Coulter!' she burst out furiously. "'I wish John Isabel would jump in that door or down out of that loft. He killed Greaves for defiling my name. He'd kill you for your dirty insult. And I'd like to watch him do it, you cold-blooded Texan. You thieving rustler, you liar. You lied about my father's death, and I know why.' You stole my father's gold, and now you want me. You expect me to fall into your arms. My heaven, can't you tell a decent woman? Was your mother decent? Was your sister decent? Bah, I'm appealing to deathness. But you hear this, Jim Coulter. I'm not what you think I am. I'm not the, the damned hussy you liars have made me out. I'm a Jorth, alas. I've no home, no relatives, no friends. I've been forced to live my life with rustlers, Vile men like you and Dags, and the rest of your like. But I've been good. Do you hear that? I am good. So help me, God. And you and all your rottenness can't make me bad. Coulter lounged to his tall height, and the laxity of the man vanished. Vanished also was John Isabel's suspended icy dread. The cold clogging of his fevered mind vanished in a white, living, leaping flame. Silently he drew his knife, and lay there watching with eyes of a wildcat. The instant Coulter stepped far enough over toward the edge of the loft, Jean meant to bound erect and plunge down upon him. But Jean could wait now. Coulter had a gun at his hip. He must never have a chance to draw it. "'And so you wish Jean Isabel would hop in here, do you?' queried Coulter. "'Well, if I had any pity on you, that's done for it. A sweep of his long arm, so swift, Ellen had no time to move, brought his hand in clutching contact with her. And the force of it flung her half across the cabin room, leaving the sleeve of her blouse in his grasp. Panting, she put out that bared arm and her other to ward him off as he took long, slow strides toward her. Jean rose half to his feet, dragged almost by ungovernable passion to risk all in one leap. But the distance was too great. Coulter, blind as he was to all outward things, would hear, would see in time, to make Jean's effort futile. Shaking like a leaf, Jean sank back, eye again to the crack between the rafters. Ellen did not retreat, nor scream, nor move. Every line of her body was instinct with fight, and the magnificent blaze of her eyes 
would have checked a less callous brute. Coulter's big hand darted between Ellen's arms and fastened in the front of her blouse. He did not try to hold her or draw her close. The unleashed passion of the man required violence. In one savage pull, he tore off her blouse, exposing her white, rounded shoulders and heaving bosom, where instantly a wave of red burned upward. Overcome by the tremendous violence and spirit of the rustler, Ellen sank to her knees with blanched face and dilating eyes, trying with folded arms and trembling hand to hide her nudity. At that moment, the rapid beat of hoofs on the hard trail outside halted Coulter in his tracks. Hell, he exclaimed, and who's that? With a fierce action, he flung the remnants of Ellen's blouse in her face and turned to leap out the door. Jean saw Ellen catch the blouse and try to wrap it around her, while she sagged against the wall and stared at the door. The hoofbeats pounded to a solid thumping halt just outside. "'Jim, there's hell to pay,' rasped out a panting voice. "'Well, Springer, I reckon I wish you paid it without spoiling my deals,' reported Coulter, cool and sharp. "'Deals, huh? You'll be forgetting your lady love in a minute,' replied Springer, when I catch my breath. "'Where's Summers?' demanded Coulter. "'I reckon he's all shot up, if my eyes didn't fool me.' "'Where is he?' yelled Coulter. "'Jimmy's lying up in the bushes round that bluff.' I didn't wait to see how he was hurt, but he sure stopped some lead, and he flopped like a chicken with his head cut off. Where's Antonio? He run like the greaser he is, declared Springer disgustedly. Ah, and where's Queen? queried Coulter, after a significant pause. Dead. End of chapter 14, part 1